to look at Psalm 5, but we return. And uh, last, uh, two weeks ago, uh, Jacob preached from the end of chapter 3 and handled a, a very difficult passage quite well, I think. And I'm thankful uh, for his preaching and proclamation. And we pick up in chapter 4, and it's a new chapter, but it's really just a part of an extended section of Peter helping these Christians to live as aliens and strangers in this world and proclaim the gospel to the world around him, which sometimes is going to provoke hostility. And so we're going to pay attention to God's word from 1 Peter chapter 4. I'm going to read 1 through 6 on page 6 in the bulletin. You'll find the passage and then our corporate response to the reading of God's word. Peter writes, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, Arm yourselves with the same way of thinking, for whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. But they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. This is the word of the Lord. Join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time to be together in your house. Lord, we know sometimes we are providentially hindered by weather or by circumstance, by illness or recovery from surgery. Whatever the cases may be, Lord, we pray for us as we've gathered this morning, as well as those who are joining us online, wherever we may be, we pray that your spirit would move in our hearts and minds. Lord, unless you speak, my words are vain. Lord, unless you move by your spirit, what we do is in vain. But Lord, we have great confidence because you've given us your word and you've called us to proclaim that word and to listen to it. That Lord, what we do is not at all in vain. And we pray this all in Jesus' name, amen. I do not think you could pay me enough money to go and relive middle school. I, don't th I, I can't think of a number that you could say, Adam, if you do this again, I'll give to you. I'll say, no, no, thank you. High school was a little bit better. When I got into ninth grade, I thought I needed to be a part of things. And so I joined Future Business Leaders of America I, this will, one will not surprise you. I joined Future Farmers of America. You see how that panned out. Um, I joined Junior Civitan. I was joining all these clubs partially to put on my college applications and partially because you're looking for that in. You're looking for that place that you belong. Middle school was quite awful. I was not athletic. I struggled with math and I had dandruff that I didn't really understand why it existed. It was not a lack of hygiene. But I assure you my classmates did not care about such things. 
And there was that guy that had the full beard that you wondered how long he'd been there. I couldn't do that again. It's something that we have to endure in this time and place that we exist. And it does speak to that sense of longing and desire for belonging. I certainly never belonged to the in crowd, not in high school, not in middle school. And I think if you were in that crowd at this point, as you get age, you probably have learned that it didn't mean as much as you thought it meant at the time. We learn these things over time. Of course, those were also rough years for me with my family. Those people that I was supposed to be closest to were either physically or emotionally distant. I was very much alone. And so no, you could not pay me enough to go back there. As I was thinking, as we restarted our series after our Advent break, I had written this in my manuscript, which you'll be pleased to know does not always come out of my mouth and not all everything that I write. And that's probably a good thing. But I was thinking about Peter writing to this group, this group of Christians who are very much exiles. He uses that word. He uses the word aliens and strangers or sojourners. They are outsiders. And this is what I wrote a couple weeks ago, sort of like being in middle school perpetually with much higher stakes and consequences. Is that appealing to anyone? Probably not. But something else happened to me in those years that's important. I became a follower of Christ. I was shared the good news of the gospel by a volunteer youth leader. Some of you, many of you have heard my story. And I gave my life to Christ, and it changed everything. Did everything change overnight? Certainly not. But over time, I realized where I truly belonged. And that was in Christ. Union with him and union with his people. And my theme this morning is this, because we belong to the Lord, we live out our identity in a hostile world. And so I want to talk about three things, living new life, leaving the past in the past, and looking towards the one who vindicates. So we start with living new life. And one of the things I love about the book of 1 Peter is that Peter will never let us get far from the cross of Christ. He repeatedly, chapter after chapter, puts the cross of Christ in front of us so that we don't forget what Christ has done. So go back to chapter 1, verse 18. Knowing that you are ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. And then in chapter 2, at the end of chapter 2, we hear, He himself, that is Jesus, bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Pour, pulling that language from that great prophecy in Isaiah 53. And then the passage that Jacob looked at last week with us, it begins with this great reminder in verse 18. So if you don't remember anything from that passage, remember verse 18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, 
the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. Peter anchors his exhortation and encouragement always in the cross of Jesus. He's, he's keeping the offering of Christ's life for ours in front of us. Christ's life and death is the source of all new spiritual life and our way of living in this world. So we're raised to new life with Christ. And so that's where Peter picks up with this new life because of what Christ has done. Since therefore, verse 1, Christ suffered in the flesh. Arm yourselves with the same way of thinking, for whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. So to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. And let me remind you something that Jesus said to his disciples. He said, the servant is not greater than the master. He is our master. And what did he endure? He endured the cross. He endured suffering for our sake. And so our expectation is that if we follow Christ, there will be suffering. There will be trials. There will be affliction. There will be difficulty. That's not great news. At least it seems. But we must remember that we are following the one who saves us. The one who redeems us and gives us new life. Who brings us up from out of the pit. And so Peter's now saying, prepare yourself, arm yourself. It's a, a military term. Be ready. Don't be surprised, he'll say later, when this happens. Now, I, I will grant that the end of verse 1 can be a little confusing, particularly when you first read it, first hear it. Forever suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. I do not think that means that we become sinless or can become sinless. That would contradict other parts of Scripture. So there's two primary things that it could possibly mean, and I think they're very closely related. One, it could refer to our relationship to sin has been severed because of the cross of Christ. Our relationship to sin is changed. We have a radical reorientation to sin as a result of our new life in Christ. Now, the evil one does not give up ground lightly. That's why we need to arm ourselves. We need to be ready for the hostility of this world. And this fits with what Peter says there at the end of verse 2, that we're, or as a part of verse 2, that we're living for the will of God. So our relationship with sin is dead. That doesn't mean we don't still sin. That's one possible meaning. The ESV Study Bible says more likely, and you can decide if that's right, Peter's point is that when believers are willing to suffer, the nerve center of sin is severed in their lives. Although believers will never be totally free from sin in this life, James 3.2, 1 John 1, 1.8, when believers endure suffering for the sake of Christ, they show that their purpose in life is not to live for their own pleasures, but according to the will of God and for his glory. Again, I think those two concepts of what that means of ceasing from sin are very closely related but the overall context in which peter is speaking is that of suffering for the sake of christ in his gospel and it is absolutely true that the christian life does change our relationship to the world and it does change the meaning of our suffering and that moves us 
to seeing sin differently. And whatever the cause of that suffering, but it does happen in, in the Christian life. And as it does, oftentimes the church grows. Comron was a violent man who used to sell drugs and weapons. A friend gave him a New Testament. He read it for five sec consecutive days and gave his life to Christ. When his family and friends saw the transformation of his life over the ensuing months, many of them also came to faith. A church now meets in his house in Iran. Reza was a mullah, that's a Muslim scholar, who hoped to become an ayatollah. And one day while studying at the Islamic sem uh, seminary in Iran, he found a New Testament that had been left in the library. Someone just left it there. We know how God works. He picked it up. He fell in love with Jesus. Today he's a trained church planter. Fatima, her earliest memories were being assaulted by her brothers. She was sold in marriage at the age of 11. She was abused and then divorced by 17 and abused again when she went back home. On the street, she heard the gospel message preached and she trusted Christ. In time, she married a Christian man and they were trained in church planting and evangelism. And she went and witnessed to her family those who had abused her. They repented and turned to Christ. Her first childhood, in, in her, the first church that this couple planted was in her childhood home. According to Operation World in 2021, Iran was the fastest growing evangelical movement in the world. Second, Afghanistan. In 1979, there were just 500 persecuted and suffering Christians in Iran. About 20 years later, the number of Christian converts from a Muslim background was between five and 10,000. And now, today, there's between 800,000 to a million people who are following Christ. And it's because they are willing to suffer, because they're living new life in Christ. This is not unlike the story of the growth of Christianity in China, if you're familiar with that. Despite oftentimes experience great affliction, the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. And we need to remember that too. We do not suffer any kind of persecution like happens around the world. And yet oftentimes we grow fearful, and out of that fear, we start acting differently. Instead, arm yourselves with the cross of Christ and move faithfully into this world, knowing that it will be hostile, but knowing that Christ always prevails. And in you, he will prevail too. And that will mean leaving the past in the past if we're going to live this new life. And you have to recognize that many of these Christians that are receiving this letter, reading it, hearing it, came from pagan backgrounds. They had been a part of social clubs and groups. They had been a part of religious groups. They thought they were free, but instead they were bound in different ways. Living, verse 3, and sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. 
which sounds a lot like a college campus today. Not only that, there was the Caesar, the Roman Empire, over the Roman Empire that was viewed as being divine, and you needed to worship him. You could worship all kinds of other gods, but you must worship him. So that puts Christians at odds with this world that they live in. And so the Christian is called to live out this new life and dispense with the past. And that's what we heard in our words of confession and assurance of pardon in Colossians. Put on the fruit of the Spirit. I'm summing up. Put on Christ-likeness and put off these sinful ways of living. We leave that past in the past. But that can be difficult. At a British zoo, there are some foul-mouthed parrots that have been donated to them. They've been isolated. There's five of them because they were concerned that those parrots would teach the others these words. But they received, people will give them to the zoo. They received three more. So now they have eight of these parrots. And this is what the chief executive of the zoo says. We put eight really, really offensive swearing parrots with 92 non-swearing ones. When we came to move them, the language that came out of their carrying boxes was phenomenal, really bad. Not normal swear words. These were proper expletives. Now, their hope is that the eight learn from the 92 rather than the 92 learning from the eight. Now, here's a bigger problem. They put up warning signs at the Sioux so that when people came to visit, they would know that these parrots might say something. Well, apparently the, the, the customers, the zoo visitors, are the ones that now are doing the swearing. Sounds like it might be difficult in those surroundings to live a new life, wouldn't it be? But then again, they have been given a new opportunity, a new life in a community. And Peter certainly hopes that these followers of Christ that he writes to will not simply parrot the culture that is around them, but instead speak the words that Christ has given to them. So he says, that was your old life. Leave it there. Welcome to this new community. But if you live out that Christian identity, then you may experience hostile customers saying things about your old way of life or reminding you of it. And don't be surprised, verse 4, with respect to this, they are surprised, but Christian, don't be surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery and they malign you. Because if you live out this Christian identity and leave the past in the past, then you may well experience that hostility. They'll say, why don't you come and be a part of the crowd? Why don't you maybe relax? Don't be so uptight. Don't be a goody-goody. Nobody's really going to care. Nobody's watching. It could be a boss that says this to you, and you may feel like, man, my next promotion hangs on whether I go in and participate in this place. Live a little, they will encourage and if you hold the line where Christ draws it, you may be maligned. You may be threatened if you don't join in from a boss, from a fraternity brother, from a friend. These invitations can come from people who love you, 
when I was getting married, a family member desperately wanted to take me to a gentleman's club. I refused. Now, to his credit, he didn't malign me, but he kept pushing on it. He kept, come on, let's go, let's do this. And I'm like, no. And thankfully, I was surrounded by Christian brothers who could help me maintain my integrity. And I hope I earned some integrity with that family member. But there's still that pressure that comes from the world. And if you don't give in, then you may be maligned. Our counter is that we are the ones that are actually living. It just happens to be a life that's been given to us as a gift from Christ. Received by faith and growing, albeit imperfectly, every day. We are the ones who are most free, and therefore we are willing to leave that sin in the past. We are forgiven, and we are beloved. We don't have to prove ourselves or build our reputation, because the only reputation that we need is to be counted as a son or daughter of the living God. So hostility may come, and if it does, if you're maligned, then what do you do? Where's your hope? Well, you look to the one who vindicates. That's my final point. Part of what was so encouraging from Jacob's sermon on the previous passage, which again is a challenging one, was how he reminded us of the power of God's rule in a hostile world and how the spirit speaks through his people. Christ's spirit moves through us. And that's very much what Peter is continuing to say in this passage, that, that God reigns. And you can trust him. And you can look to him. So when you do speak in the spirit, when you do proclaim the gospel, know that God, as we might say, has your back. Notice what verse 5 says. It continues the thought of verse 4. But they, those who malign you, will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. See, the doctrine of final judgment, which is what we hear right there, that God will come and judge the living and the dead, it's something we proclaim in the Apostles' Creed, in the Nicene Creed. It serves as both comfort and warning. Comfort to the Christian, particularly those who suffer for the faith, because it's important to remember in those moments that the judge of all the earth will do what is right including judge those who have persecuted the body of Christ, the living and the dead. That is true of everyone, but the Christian lives with the certainty, with the sure and certain hope that Christ has already been judged in our place at the cross. So while all of us, living or dead, will be judged, we are innocent by association with Christ instead of guilty because of our own sin. Our being united to him in our salvation is our salvation at the final judgment. And when we recite the creeds, it is both comfort and warning to those who do not yet regard Christ as their redeemer. We will be vindicated when that judgment comes. Our older brother Jesus will come to our rescue with perfect justice and we conclude with verse 6 
this passage at least. For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. Again, another difficult statement. And if you hold uh, in 1 Peter 3.19 that there's actually a, a, a preaching to the, those who have died and they get sort of a second chance to respond to the gospel, then you might view this in the same manner and say, see, I told you, the gospel's preached to the dead. But I don't think that's the meaning. I don't hold to that, at least, and that's not what uh, Jacob held out for us either uh, two weeks ago. My first inclination was to view this as speaking of a, a spiritual state. That is, we're spiritually dead. So the God, apart from Christ, and it is true, we're spiritually dead, Ephesians 2.1. And so when the gospel is proclaimed to us, then we're given new life. And we, receive, and we receive that gospel message by faith. We're given new life. And Romans 6 uh, would follow along with this. But I don't think that does enough to uphold the immediate context and the cultural one. At the end of verse 5, when he says that God will come to judge the living and the dead, the dead are physically dead. So it would seem this is referring to those who are physically dead. Now, here's what the NIV does. If you have the NIV translation, it inserts the word now. It should be italicized in your translations. Those who are now dead. This is why the gospel was preached to those who are now dead. And I think that fits because what's going on is these first generation Christians are wondering, if Christ hasn't come back and I die, what does that mean for my spiritual state? You may recall in 1 Thessalonians 4, that's exactly the issue that is being addressed. Christians that were concerned that they wouldn't be a part of the resurrection because, and new life because they had died before Christ's return. And so maybe the same concern is there, and Peter's addressing it. For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are now dead. that They might live. They're going to die. All of us will die because that is punishment for sin. We all experience that, but they might live in the spirit the way God does. And so we experience new life. Either way, we are looking to the one who vindicates us both now and forever. What P Peter is doing is buttressing the faith and hope of these Christians in dark times when persecution is only getting worse and the reality is, is they might die for their faith. And so what does that mean if you die? Well, they live because Christ lives within us and raises us to that new life. And because we belong to him, then we're living out our faith in this hostile world. And so we should be motivated then to share the gospel with those who are spiritually dead, that is true. So that if they should die, and they will, that they might die in Christ and be counted among his kingdom. These things work together. If we grow in boldness, then we may well need the reminder of this vindication we await. Even while the world rejects and spurns the message we share. And yet, the Lord may wills and does use our lives and even our deaths for his glory christ's death is a pattern for us truly truly he says to you to us in john 
Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. And that willingness to follow where Christ leads is used by Christ. And we bear witness in this hostile world. J. Oswell Sanders was the director of China Inland Missions, which later became the Overseas Missionary Fellowship. And he, spoke, he speaks about evangelists in India who trudged on foot to various villages. This is some many years back because uh, uh, he was in the 1950s, 1960s, the director of China Inland Mission. And so this man, this simple man, no education, loved Jesus with all his heart. And he was willing to lay down his life. And so he would go to a village that did not have the gospel. And he preached it. It was late in the day. He was very tired. He lifted up his voice, shared the good news with those who gathered in the square. They mocked him. They derided him. They drove him out of town. He was so tired, had no emotional resources left, that he laid down under a tree, utterly discouraged. He went to sleep not knowing if he would even wake up. And he knew that they might come to kill him. Suddenly, just after dusk, he was startled and woken, and the whole town had surrounded him. I can't imagine a, a, a more terrifying moment there. It's dark. The village has already driven you out of town. And one of the big men, as he's thinking, this is it, this is the end, one of the big men in the village steps forward, and he said, we came out to see what kind of man you are. And when we saw your blistered feet, we knew you were a holy man. And we want you to tell us why you were willing to get blistered feet to come talk to us. So he preached the gospel again. And according to Sanders, the whole village believed in Christ. I'm not particularly fond of middle school Adam, but I survived. But here's one of the things that I keep coming back to, and I think it matters regardless of where we are in life right now. Because I belong to Jesus... My life is guaranteed to not stay the same. He is leading me in growth in his will and his ways. And so I'm grateful that we are never stuck where we are. In fact, Jesus is moving us forward. And he's moving us out into the world. That will require boldness. But we are never without Christ our Savior. We are not static. It is a dynamic life that we are given we're changed by that dynamic grace of God that gives us safety of eternal belonging and being used by the Lord to reach the world for his name. No matter what hostility may come, that can never overcome what has been ordained for us in eternity. Would you join me in prayer? I mean, Father, thank you for your word and I know there are verses that are not easy to understand, at least for me, and maybe not easily preached. But Lord, I pray that because your spirit works and you promise that your word won't return in vain, I pray that you would hold to that promise for our sake here at North Hills. Do your will in and through us and give us boldness even as hostility around us grows. Lord, we praise you and thank you that you use us for your kingdom, for your glory, for our good. Lord, we praise you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.